0: Hello and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. The book of
1: Acts again, this time into chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I'm going to quit this series in Acts right away for four more sermons, and I'm going to stop in Acts and go somewhere else, but I feel like that this has been important for us as a church to take a look at the problems faced by the early church. and We have another problem this evening faced by the early church that is still a problem for us in <coughs> modern times. Acts chapter 15, the first 12 verses, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small uh, dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Venice and Samaria, declaring the conversation of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of, of the gospel, and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our Father nor we were able to bear?" But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitudes kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this evening, your children Praise your name to look into your word now to determine the message that you would have for us. Help us to have open minds and hearts to the reality of your truth that we could go forth from this service prepared and ready to witness in the community into which we go, at work or at play or at home, that others might know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. We've been talking considerably about Gentiles being saved. We had the story of Cornelius and his house to whom Peter had preached and they were saved. We know that Paul and Barnabas left and had made missionary journeys throughout all of Asia Minor. Three journeys as a matter of fact preaching to Gentiles as well as to Jews, and many, many people were being saved, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well. This would seem good, but then there comes a group of people, Christian people from Judea, And they came to where Paul was and began to say to the Christian brethren that Paul had been preaching to, look, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. This was their argument. You're going to have to comply with the law of Moses. Now speaking to Gentiles, who have never been under the law of Moses. The law of Moses was not given to Gentile people. It was given to Jews. The Ten Commandments were given to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. Does that shake you up? The Ten Commandments were not given to you and me. The principle of the Ten Commandments is well founded in the New Testament, and we have it. But we don't have the the law of the Old Testament that is to be applied to anybody but the Jew. Because it was a Jewish law given by God to the Jewish people. But the Jewish people felt that if, if you Gentiles are going to be saved and come into the church, you're going to have to comply with all of the cultural things that we have been doing. You're going to have to observe our feasts. You're going to have to pray like we do. You're going to have to worship like we do. You're going to have to have all of your boys circumcised like we do. You're going to have to do all of these things like we do. And the Gentile was saying, hold on here. We weren't brought up under that law. It is not our custom. It's not our policies. It's not our culture why are you trying to cram down our throats your way of living? This has always been a problem. When our missionaries first went to the the Philippines, the people over there didn't wear very many clothes, particularly the women were not clothed from the waist up the first thing our missionaries did very erroneously is begin to say, you're going to have to put clothes on if you're going to be Christian. Oh, that wasn't their culture. They missed the whole point. Our job is not to change people's culture into our way of living. Our job is to convert them to Jesus Christ. Now, as a result of that, they did become clothed but it was because they believed in Christ and had a new concept as to how they ought to live amongst each other. But, uh, oft times, we as Christian people want to put our culture on other people and say, if you don't do it like we do, you're not a Christian. Some of you probably would say, if you don't shout in church, you can't be a Christian. If you don't say that, you probably thought it. Somebody, because I have heard it said that if there is not shouting and the raising and the whooping of hands, you're not saved, because you can't be saved and be calm and quiet. But I can go to other parts of our culture and to the the uh, the Quakers, for example. And we find them a very calm, a very quiet people who wouldn't think of shouting or saying amen or waving their hands or doing any of those things that are culturally based and not scripturally based. So, they had a problem. You can't be saved unless you're circumcised. Well, well, weren't willing to consider any other facts. Some people are so hard in their interpretation of what they think the scripture says that they're not willing to look at any possible alternatives. And this is what they were up against. These Jews had been Jews. They had gone through all the ritual that the Jews went through and now they were saved. And they were saying, if you're going to be saved, you're going to be like me. And the Gentiles said, I ain't going to be like you. And so they had the first problem in the church. The first confrontation between a group of Gentiles and a group of Jews over whether or not everybody had to follow the culture of the Jewish people in order to get into the church a real problem Paul and Barnabas got into a heated discussion with these people who came from Judea Paul and Barnabas were supporting the concept of the Gentiles who were resisting going through this this ordeal this ritual of being circumcised in order to be saved so what did they do? They said, and they all agreed, all right, since we have a disagreement over what ought or ought not to be with this issue, let's send you guys to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas, and we'll send some of you other fellows, I want you to go down to Jerusalem and there talk to James, John, and the other people in the church in Jerusalem and discuss it. The first council on a doctrinal dispute was now held. These are held all the time. The Southern Baptist Convention just had their convention in uh, New Orleans, I believe it was. I've forgotten exactly where, but I think so. They had some issues that they batted back and forth as to what they were going to do and not going to do. Do you know what one of the issues was? The motion was that next year's convention be held in Las Vegas. And there was this one group over here that said, we're not going to have our convention in Las Vegas because we don't want to expose our people to all of the corruption that's in Las Vegas. And over here's this other group who says, we want to have the convention in Las Vegas because there are good churches there. And they have invited us to come, and it makes no difference that the community is surrounded with gambling and all the things that go with that. So here is a confrontation. They're going to Las Vegas, by the way. Now, I I found all that out through my brother, whose uh, pastor went to that convention and voted against going to Las Vegas, and I smiled all the time, he was telling me. Because it came down to to things that were not of primary issues, as, uh, and, and they were fighting over it. All right, so here they are. Let's go down to Jerusalem, and let's talk the issue out. What really was the issue? The issue was not, are you going to be circumcised or not? The issue was, do you have to do something? Do you have to work? Is there something that man must do in order to be saved? If you have to be circumcised to be saved, why is it not that you shouldn't also have to stand on your head to be saved? Where do you stop adding to the things that you've got to do if you have to do one thing? If you have to do one thing to be saved, where do you stop because I've got my one thing and you have your one thing and you have your one thing and we have 52 things that have to be done because we have 52 people who see things a little different. And my culture says one thing and your culture says another and on it goes. And I read one passage one way and you read it another and so we begin to have our doctrinal differences and we say that unless you do it my way, unless you belong to my church and on and on, you can't be saved. Now, I'm going to startle you maybe by saying the Scripture says there's something you've got to do to be saved. You know what that is? You've got to be perfect. You've got to be perfect to be saved. Amen. Any of you saved? Not if you're talking about perfection, you're not, are you? Because we're going to have to come back with the statement, well, look, if we have to be perfect to be saved, I'm not going to make it because I know I'm not perfect. And I know you're not perfect too. Right? All right. Matthew 5, 48 says, Be you perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Not going to make it. I'm smart enough to know that if it's if my salvation is based upon me, brother, I'm lost. And I think I'm smart enough to say the same thing about you. You're lost. If there's one thing you've got to do, you're not going to make it. Because it's going to have to be done to perfection. Because God requires perfection. And we can't do it. That's why we had to have the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary to cover our sins. That's why. I want to go over to Ephesians. Verses 8 and 9, you've heard them and read them and probably know them by memory. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Now, that hadn't been written yet at the time of the uh, episode that we are discussing here this evening. Paul had not written to Ephesians and made that statement. He probably had never even formulated it in his mind. He believed it, but it hadn't become a part of the doctrine of the church yet that one is saved by his faith, not by what he does. That hadn't arrived yet. Now, hold that open because we're going to go back to that very passage in a moment. Circumcision was an act that God required of all males of the Hebrew faith in the Old Testament all the way back in Genesis chapter 17. He gave this order to Abraham. Prior to Abraham, there had been no such ordinance of circumcision. People weren't saved by being circumcised prior to Abraham. And now God comes along and says to Abraham, I want you to perform this ordinance. And so they did it. Adults or children as well. The point I want to make is that God gave this in the 17th chapter of Genesis, and you can go back and read it for yourself, verses 11 and 14. But Abraham was called by God in chapter 12. Five chapters before the ordinance of circumcision, God had already selected Abraham. Abraham was righteous, had been found righteous in the sight of God without the benefit of doing anything. And so even the Jew cannot say that you have, to be sa- you have to be circumcised to be saved because we have the evidence that Abraham was righteous in the sight of God long before the ordinance ever came about. Now, there's a problem in saying you've got to be circumcised or, if I might broaden it out, in saying you've got to do a given work, whatever it might be. And I'll mention those briefly in a moment. If a person must do something to be saved, then this fact challenges the efficiency of Jesus' death on the cross to save us. If a person must do something to be saved, let me repeat it again, then it means that Jesus did not suffice when he died on the cross. If it is Jesus plus anything, it is Jesus and nothing. If his death on the cross is not sufficient, then we don't have anything that will save us. Nothing. Now people say today, you've got to do certain things. Jesus, or the Lord said, through Paul in Ephesians, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I'm sorry, Church of Christ people and Catholics, but your baptism isn't going to make it. There is nothing in the scripture that says you've got to be baptized to be saved. And isn't it strange that those two extremes make this claim? That doctrine will not stand up under close scrutiny of the Scripture. I'm sorry, Pentecostal people, but your claim that you've got to speak in tongues won't hold up. There is nothing in the Scripture that says you have to speak in tongues to be saved because that's something man does and Paul said in Ephesians, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we can't buy that doctrine and those churches would say you've got to belong to our membership or you're going to hell again the church of christ are guilty and a few others i'm sorry people but we can't go with that for the scripture does not say that i must join the church to be saved it says that i must have faith in jesus christ to be saved and that's all it says We could go back to other groups who might say that one thing or another the Catholics say you've got to have whatever the priest does over you before you die or you're lost and all those things. I find nowhere in the scripture and certainly not in verse 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2 that would indicate there is one thing that a person must do in order to be saved council comes together and they consider all of the arguments back and forth and Peter explains his side and and uh, Paul and Barnabas and all of them discuss it one way or another the issue really is how is a person saved is a person saved by what he does or a person saved by the grace of God and they finally come to a decision And they say, well, we are not going to impose circumcision on the Gentiles. And why do they say that? Because they recognized that it was a cultural standard that they were talking about. It would be the same thing as saying you've got to become a citizen of the United States if you want to be saved. Same thing. It's saying you've got to be a Baptist if you want to be saved. And we recognize that those are things that do not apply... To the relationship of a person and his God. There is nowhere in the scripture that says that we must have a worship service such as we have in order to be saved. This is a cultural thing that we've grown up with. Other people would come into our services and be very uncomfortable in worshiping the way we do. I went to a Lutheran service one time and I was the most uncomfortable person in all the world. I never knew what I was supposed to do and I kept watching other people to figure it out. And uh, some of the things they did I thought were ridiculous. But some of my best friends in this world belong to that church and they are as devout as any person I know. It does not say you've got to worship like the Lutherans to be saved. Neither does it say you've got to worship like the Baptists to be saved. This is a cultural thing more than anything else. The manner in which we have grown up to be saved or to, to worship. Salvation is not dependent upon man's action but it's dependent upon God's action then the old thing is thrown out continually. Well, if that's the case, then I'll become a Christian and I'll just go and do as I please. Oh, be careful. Be careful. Because there are some requirements of the mode of conduct of a Christian. And the letter that that James wrote, he did the penning to the Gentiles that Paul was representing and sat back with those group of men, made some comments about what they ought to be and ought to do. And they instructed them that they were to to, uh, forsake idols, not to have anything to do with idols. They were to act and react in a certain way. There is a discussion of the moral conduct of a Christian. A Christian, in other words, ought to act like a Christian which means a Christian's life ought to be patterned after Jesus Christ. And if our life is not patterned after his, then there's plenty of room for anybody to look at us and say, you're not living the way you ought to live. And all of us would be guilty of falling into that little problem. But it's not talking, uh, uh, the, the problem is not our salvation. The problem is living our salvation. We are saved by the grace of God and by the grace of God we ought to live like Jesus Christ. There certainly is an expectation that a Christian live a certain pattern of life and that's what James said. We're not going to expect you people to worship like we do to go through the ordinances that we have grown up up with. You may do your own thing but live like Jesus. That's what he said to them in so many words so we ought to look like and act like we're Christian. And that means pattering our lives after, after our Lord. Forsake idol worship, forsake fornication, forsake practices that are not acceptable. There ought to be a difference in our old way of living and a new way of living. And when a person becomes a Christian, there are certain things that we shed off. And we we have to acknowledge, and we've problems with some of these things. We must not expect anybody, a new Christian, to simply live the way we think a Christian ought to live. And I made reference to this this morning. The problem is between the Lord and me. And you don't have too much to say about that when it comes to my life. And I don't have too much to say about it when it comes to your life. That's personal. What I'm telling you is on the day of judgment we'll answer for the way we have lived or not lived. We ought to teach each other and uh, how we ought to live. We ought to support each other in the way we ought to live. We ought to encourage each other. And when we fail Then we ought to pick each other up and love each other in order that we might be like Christ. What's the issue? How are you saved? By what you do? No, no. Saved with the grace of God. What we do is after the fact. We live for Christ after we have accepted We live for him. And our life ought to reflect him. But our salvation was done on the cross. And that's all. And when the rich young man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? Same old question that we have yet today. What must we do to be saved? Nothing but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What must we do to look like a Christian? Then there are plenty of things to do. There ought to be a pattern to our life that reflects Christ, but it's after the fact, after our salvation, not in order to be saved, shall we first?